On January 6, 2021, at 12.53 Eastern Standard Time, a mass of people overwhelmed police on the west side of the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., totally breaching the barricade four minutes later. At 2.11, Proud Boy member and owner of a flooring company, Dominic Pizzola, broke a window and entered the building. What followed was a bizarre scene with many people wandering the halls of the Capitol, some apparently just content to sit there, while others had more active plans. When it was all over, five people were dead, 138 law enforcement personnel were injured, at least 15 of whom required hospitalization, and an untold number of civilians were also injured. Investigations would ensue, former President Donald Trump would be impeached, and more than 1,100 people would be formally charged with various crimes, almost 600 of those receiving sentences to date. Just what in tarnation had happened here? Was it a riot, an insurrection, a coup attempt, a domestic terrorist act, or what exactly? Others hinted darkly, or just said outright, that it was all a false flag. It was a truly extraordinary event in American history. This was hardly the first time there had been socio-political violence in the United States, which has a history that seems to be steeped in blood. And outside of that country, there are numerous similar stories. But there are certain unique features to this event. While no one has thrown out the possible involvement of extraterrestrial or transdimensional aliens yet, it was mainly fueled by conspiracy theories and thinking, and has also been used for fodder for more of the same in the subsequent weeks, months, and years the Conspiracphere had finally run amok. Welcome to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse, Panic, Panic at, the, at the, disco, the Disco, the January, January 6th, 6th Capital event. event. I don't particularly like Panic at the Disco's music, but they do have some great song titles, which I will be using throughout this episode. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast, and if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You can also review us on IMDb. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Fever You Can't can't Sweat sweat out. Out. This is the first album by Panic at the Disco, which came out in 2005. Even though we all refer to it as January 6th or J6 sometimes, it kind of all starts back on September 29th, 2020, during a debate between incumbent President Donald Trump and Joe Biden, moderated by Chris Wallace, in which the following exchange took place. Trump, give me a name, give me a name, go ahead, who would you like me to condemn? Wallace, White supremacists and racists. Biden. Proud boys. Wallace. White supremacists and white militias. Biden. Proud boys. 
Trump. Proud Boys, Proud Boys stand, stand back, back and stand, stand by. by. Immediately after this was televised, the Proud Boys saw recruitment skyrocket. By the time January 6th rolled around, they would have tripled in size. It seemed to them that the man that they worshipped, Donald Trump, was telling them to prepare for something big. A month later, on Halloween, just three days before the election, pro-Trump people surrounded a Biden campaign bus in Texas trying to force it off the road, resulting in that day's events being canceled due to safety concerns. When Trump heard of this, he tweeted a picture of the bus and wrote in all caps, I love, I love Texas. Texas. People with certain mindsets took this to mean something. That same day, Steve Bannon told a group of Trump supporters that the president's strategy in the upcoming election was, quote, just declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's a winner. He's just going to say he's a winner. Because of things like this, press people kept asking Trump and his campaign reps if he would, in fact, abide by the election results in November. The answers ranged from vague to changing the topic to saying things that amounted to, yeah, I will if I win. Early in October, various parts of the country started seeing flyers show up, like one in Kansas City that said, quote, You have been, have given, been given fair, fair warning. warning. Always, remember Always remember that it was, that it was you, you who started, who started this the civil, civil war. war. Be, prepared Be prepared to face the severe, severe consequences, consequences of your preemptive pre actions, actions against, against democracy. democracy. Group chats on the internet filled with similar sentiments, like, quote, The bloodshed, the bloodshed will, be, will biblical be biblical if Trump loses. On November 2nd, the day before the election, the hashtag, hashtag Stop the Steal, started showing up on social media, mainly being pushed by the Philadelphia GOP, actor James Woods, who's a big Trump fan, rabid anti-Muslim blogger and Obama birther conspiracy theorist Pamela Geller, hardcore Christian right influencer Carmine Sabia, white supremacist anti-Semite and Pizzagate adherent Jack Prasobiec, and neo-Nazi Christian misogynist promoter of dozens of conspiracies, Mark Dice, whose real name is Mark Scholdice. This was the atmosphere in the country as Election Day came around on November 3rd. There had been numerous threats. Trump himself seemed to, at least in the minds of some, he seemed to be saying that if he lost the election, he would just say he hadn't. And the hashtag Stop the Steal had showed up even before voting had commenced. Well, America voted, and yeah, it takes some time to count votes, especially one that was this close. The day after, on the 4th, Trump said continuing to count the votes was some kind of sneaky attempt to, quote, disenfranchise the people because he already knew that he had won and any other result would be fraud. The day after that, on the 5th, Roger Stone said that if fraud is discovered, then states don't have to abide by the election results when they choose electors. They can just choose whomever they like. On November 7th, counting in Pennsylvania concluded with the state going to Biden, making him finally the winner of the election. Two days after that, on the 9th, two things happened. First, Trump fired his Secretary of Defense, replacing him with a loyalist. This move prompted the director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, to tell General Mark A. Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs, that, quote, we are on the way to a right-wing coup. That same day, Jessica Watkins of the far-right militia group Oath Keepers sent out a flurry of texts to her people, telling them that they needed to come to Ohio for combat training because, quote, I need you fighting fit by inauguration, though she spelled that with two initial N's. Five days after that, on the 14th, a week after Biden was declared winner, the Million MAGA March descended on Washington, D.C.'s Freedom Plaza. It was not a million people, but it was thousands, to be sure. 
In attendance were Marjorie Taylor Greene, Alex Jones, and members of the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters, all far-right anti-government militias. Fights broke out with counter-protesters and 20 people were arrested for disorderly conduct, assault, including assaulting a police officer, and various firearms violations. During all this, Trump drove past on his way to go play golf and waved to the crowd. More violence erupted as night fell, with police feeling compelled to break out their batons, and one man went to the hospital after someone stabbed him from behind. Over the next month, there would be a dozen or so similar protests, basically just replaying the same thing. People supporting Trump's repeated claims that he'd won would angrily gather, far-right militia groups would join in, counter-protesters would show up, violence erupted, people got arrested and injured. In one incident, on December 12th, 200 Proud Boys, dressed in combat fatigues, bulletproof vests, and helmets, joined an event in D.C. organized by Women for America First, an organization run by former Tea Partier Amy Kremer. Trump ended up driving past this and was thrilled with the support. Mike Flynn talked to the crowd, telling them that the Constitution is not about collective freedom. Antifa people who'd come to shout them down were attacked by militia members present. 23 people were arrested and four stabbed. The leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, tore down a Black Lives Matter sign in front of the Asbury Methodist Church, an act which eventually would get him arrested and charged on January 4th. High Hopes, a 2018 song by Panic at the Disco that went multiple platinum. Fox News was in hog heaven during all this. Tucker Carlson expressed the opinion that lawyers Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, who were out front promoting the narrative that Trump had been robbed, were, quote, nuts. But then he wrote an article supporting Powell, saying he hoped that she had some evidence for her claims because until she showed proof of fraud, quote, this country will not be united. Since you can't provide proof of a negative that the election was not stolen, it seemed like he was saying that there had been fraud and she just needed to find the evidence. Well, there is a way to show that negative. Just count all the votes. But efforts to do this were routinely blocked by Trump supporters and legal eagles. The Trump camp's narrative seemed to be that they'd only believe the result of audits that they themselves conducted if they had exclusive private access to the ballots and voting machines. Otherwise, fraud was going to be committed even on top of the fraud that had already been committed. Now, not everybody on the legal side of things agreed. Attorney General Bill Barr said on December 1st that there was no evidence of election fraud on any sort of scale that could have altered the outcome of the election. Now, when Trump heard that Barr had publicly contradicted him, he reportedly threw his lunch at the wall. Barr resigned and Trump accepted the resignation, but as he was leaving the building, Barr got waylaid in the parking lot by two people who convinced him to stay on for two more weeks through the electors balloting. Now, don't forget, in the United States, the popular vote is to decide how each state's electors are supposed to vote, and then those electors meet on December 14th and cast their votes. It is the electors, in fact, that elect the president. Can the chess bro came up with a plan to use fake electors for the December 14th balloting. In a December 6th internal memo, he wrote that, yes, certainly these electors would almost certainly be overturned by the Supreme Court, but it would buy them some time. Buy them time to do what exactly? 
Maybe there's an indication in a tweet the day after that memo was written when the Arizona Republican Party retweeted a tweet by weird little spud Ali Alexander that said, quote, I am willing to give my life for this fight. The Arizona GOP added the comment, he is, are you, and then retweeted it. That sure seems to sound like violence was being planned well in advance. At a December 12th Proud Boys march, Alex Jones was there and said, quote, Biden will be removed one way or another. Podcaster David Harris that same day said, quote, we're the ones with all the guns. These sound like barely veiled threats to me. Some of the rhetoric that day went even further into some weird places. Oath Keepers leader Stuart Rhodes said Trump should invoke the Insurrection Act or there would be, quote, much more bloody war, which makes one ask what he means by more war. The Insurrection Act would federalize militias, making groups like the Oath Keepers legitimate in an instant. It would also put military troops on the streets of U.S. cities and towns. And then, fan of authoritarian governments, white supremacist, Christian nationalist, anti-Semite, and self-proclaimed founder of the insul movement, Nick Fuentes, led that crowd in chanting, quote, destroy, destroy the, the GOP. GOP, destroy, destroy the, the GOP. GOP. The GOP, mind you, not the DNC. Apparently, it wasn't just evil globalist Democrats who were the targets of the crowd's ire, but the Republicans as well. Trump flew over the crowd on this December 12th day in the helicopter designated Marine One, going back and forth a few times to check it out, tweeting out his appreciation for all the support. Now, from that altitude, it's unclear if he could actually hear the content of what they're saying, and that's what he was approving of, or if he just saw a bunch of people with Trump banners and got all excited. Anyway, two days later, December 14th came around, and the state electors all met to cast their votes. Yeah, I know, it's a weird system, but that's just how it works. Even though Biden won the popular vote in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, pro-Trumpers cast their electoral votes for Trump anyway. Needless to say, this did not work, and those votes got thrown out. Attorney General Barr, having agreed to stick it out this long, finally resigned again, suggesting that Jeffrey A. Rosen be his acting replacement. Trump immediately tells Rosen to start looking for evidence of fraud in the election. Two days after that, Trump actually drafted an executive order empowering his new Secretary of Defense to seize all voting machines nationwide, putting Attorney Sidney Powell in charge of this, implementing any criminal proceedings that may arise from what she finds, and doling out whatever justice she saw fit. Fortunately, this executive order never went through. The following day, on the 17th, Ron Watkins, that weird little smurf who started 8chan and is a possible candidate for the creation of the whole QAnon narrative, said that Trump should, quote, cross the Rubicon, which, of course, had a lot of people looking that up on Wikipedia. Let us not forget that when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, he knew that he was destroying the Roman Republic that had lasted for almost 500 years and setting up a dictatorship with himself at its head. The day after that, the 18th, a little cabal, let's call them, who called themselves the Outside Group, and which consisted of Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn, and Patrick Byrne, who is a deep state and vaccine conspiracy theorist, plus the guy who started Overstock.com. They met with Trump and White House counsel Pat Cipollone to tell the president that he needed to declare martial law. 
Keep in mind, up to this point, all that has happened is, is that the people voted on November 3rd, and then the electors voted on December 14th. They also suggested to Trump that Venezuela may have somehow involved themselves with interfering in the election. Trump, however, ignored all this and instead talked about giving Sidney Powell some seriously sweeping powers. He really seemed to like her. The group devolved into hours and hours of shouts and insults. Word of this verbal melee apparently got out, which made Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy and Army Chief of Staff General James McConville come out with a joint statement declaring preemptively, quote, there is no role in the U.S. military in determining the outcome of an American election. Just to make that clear. This, of course, infuriated a lot of people in the outside group and the ill-tempered melee that this conversation had devolved into. One of Trump's aides wrote a note saying that after that statement, he'd spoken with the two men and was assured that they would not issue another statement. But if they did, Trump should immediately fire them. That note was then torn into pieces, like so many documents in the Oval Office, and later taped back together, which is how we know about it. Then on December 19th, Trump tweeted that there would be a big rally in D.C. on January 6th, which is the day the results would be finalized. Quote, be there, be there will be, will wild, be wild, tweeted Trump. Almost immediately, the domain name wildprotest.com was registered and began promoting the planned rally. Shortly afterwards that same day, at a rally in Arizona, Ali Alexander, the man who earlier tweeted that he would give his life for, quote, this fight, said he had spoken to someone at the White House and hinted darkly that any Republican politician that did not try to give the election to Trump should face violent repercussions. And then later, he claimed that the whole January 6th protest idea was in fact his. Caravans were planned for people from all over the country to link up and then meet up in the nation's capital on January 6th. The Proud Boys and other militia groups also planned to show up in force. Throughout the rest of December, various conversations took place in the White House and several memos were written, which we have, with plans to have Vice President Pence, who would oversee proceedings on the 6th that would officially declare the next president, simply bang his gavel and say, no, no, Trump won. Pence seriously thought about not even showing up on the 6th, since it all seemed to be a bit too much, and frankly, his role's mainly ceremonial anyway. But then he reconsidered not showing up. After, during a well-wishing Christmas Day phone call he made to the president, Trump told him that he should just reject all of the electoral votes on the 6th. Pence said neither he nor anyone else had the authority to do that, and felt compelled to physically show up there on the 6th to make sure that no one tried to pull that kind of a stunt. On December 27th, Trump was talking with his new acting attorney general and acting deputy AG, both of whom told him the DOJ could not step in. Trump said, quote, just, just say, say the election, the election was, corrupt was corrupt and leave and the leave rest to me and, and the Republican congressman. On December 30th, Trump-loving YouTuber Salty Cracker told his three-quarters of a million subscribers, quote, you better, better understand, understand something, something, son. son. Red, red wave, wave, bitch. There's, There's going to be a red, red wedding, wedding going, going down, down January 6th. 6th. Motherfucker, Motherfucker, you better, better look, look outside. outside. You better, better look, look out Jan 6, kick that, that fucking door open, and look, look down, down the street. The street. There's going to be a million-plus geeked-up armed Americans. The Red Wedding, of course, refers to a shocking scene of unexpected slaughter at a supposedly peaceful event in the book and TV series Game of Thrones. 
Over 300 National Guard were put on alert and businesses around the rally started boarding up their windows. Better safe than sorry after all, right? Vices and Virtues On January 2nd, Trump made that ill-thought-out phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger telling him to find enough votes to carry that state, saying, quote, Look, Brad, Look, Brad I have to I find 12,000 12, votes, votes, and I have, I have them have times, times a lot, a lot and, therefore and therefore I won the, won state. the state. On January 3rd, Trump said he would attend the January 6th rally in person and told his new Secretary of Defense to, quote, do whatever is necessary to protect the demonstrators, apparently unaware that such a thing does not fall under the National Secretary of Defense's duties. He seemed to think that the Secretary of Defense was just a high-ranking cop. Local law enforcement warned that white supremacist and extremist militia groups were going to be there, and Wade activating the National Guard, but put no request in. Back in the Oval Office, Trump told his gang that he wanted Trump loyalist Jeffrey Clark to be in charge of the DOJ. When White House and DOJ staff said that was a bad idea, including three highly ranked people who said that if he put Clark in there, they would resign, more harsh words were thrown around. White House counsel Patrick Philbin told Trump that if he just walks in and takes power, the public will riot. Jeffrey Clark, however, likes to tell Trump what he wants to hear, and he said that Trump could just use the Insurrection Act and then everything would be fine. That's the guy Trump wanted to head the Department of Justice. On the 4th, requests were made to get the National Guard to help with things in the Capitol on the 6th, but these requests were denied. In fact, Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller ordered that no National Guard members who had weapons, armor, helmets, or riot control agents could be deployed without his express personal permission. That same day, Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio got himself arrested for tearing down that BLM banner back on December 12th. When he was apprehended, he was carrying two high-capacity rifle magazines. Vice President Pence and Trump had a meeting in which the president said that he won every state, all 50 of them, each one by at least 100,000 votes, but he also said there were 205,000 more votes cast in Pennsylvania than there are registered voters. Anyway, Pence should be aware of all this because he had a decision to make. Pence covertly took notes, which would later be used in one of Trump's many future indictments. Later that day, there was a conference call of Trump supporters who, for some reason, also included Liz Cheney, who is very vocally not a fan of Donald Trump. She quietly listened in while they talked over various plans and scenarios in which they could get Pence to either delay the counting of the votes or just obstruct the process altogether. Just before 9 in the morning on January 5th, Bannon and Trump talked on the phone for 11 minutes. Bannon then immediately got on his War Room podcast and said, quote, All hell, all hell is, going is going to break, break loose, loose tomorrow. tomorrow. We're, We're on, on the on point, point of attack. Of attack. Strap, Strap in. in. He also said he needed, quote, 4,000 shock troops to, quote, deconstruct the federal government brick by brick. He then concluded in his usual erudite fashion by saying, quote, suck, suck on it. On We're, it. Destroying We're destroying this, this illegitimate, illegitimate regime. regime. Apparently, he forgot that Biden wasn't actually in office yet. So the only regime to destroy on January 5th was Trump's. Capitol Police continued to prepare for the upcoming protest. 
William Walker, commander of the D.C. National Guard, got orders superseding previous ones from Ryan McCarthy, the Secretary of the Army, saying that Walker could not deploy any National Guardsmen unless he got specific approval from both him and Acting Secretary of Defense Miller. This applied even if he got calls of a public disturbance. Under no circumstances would a single National Guardsman be allowed out of the building without both people's approval. Crowds continued to gather in the Capitol, with some people getting in trouble for trying to camp out on federal property. Others got themselves arrested for disturbing the peace and weapons charges. Sometime between 7.30 and 8.30 in the evening, someone put pipe bombs outside the offices of both the DNC and the RNC. These would be discovered the next day. The evening of the 5th, Trump holed up in the Intercontinental Willard Hotel, pretty much next to the White House, where his series of suites became a command center, or war room, as it would later be put, as he and his aides continued to brainstorm different ways to get Pence to not certify the elector results. Could they get him to delay? And if so, would that be enough? Enough for what, you may ask? Well, that is unclear. But given the environment surrounding all of this, it seems pretty clear that at least some of them were hoping there'd be some kind of armed uprising to keep Trump in office. Or maybe, faced with the chaos outside, Pence would just refuse to do it, effectively ignoring the November popular election and subsequent mid-December electoral results. And then, I guess Trump would just stay. Various people contacted Pence at various times throughout the evening, floating different ideas to him, but he made it clear that whatever the president was thinking of doing, he should just leave Mike Pence out of it. This enraged Trump, who started talking to lawyers about ways to stop the entire election certification process from the outside. Trump stayed up late into the night making phone calls and trying to find a way, any way, to cling to power like a tick on the back of a bucking bronco. Mad as Rabbits, a 2008 song by Panic at the Disco from their second album, Pretty Odd. And then came the big day. At 8.17 a.m., Trump tweeted, quote, All Mike Pence has to do is send them, meaning the votes, back to the states, and we win, this last all in caps. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. At 9.24 in the morning, Trump talked for 10 minutes to Jim Jordan, who told Trump that Pence was probably not going to overturn the election. Trump went back to his speech to add in some lines about Pence, as well as about this joint session of Congress that was about to meet. He also added more lines on the same topics half an hour later, after talking to Stephen Miller, his head speechwriter. Just before 10, the deputy chief of staff told Trump that people have been found in the crowd carrying weapons, including pistols, rifles, spears, and bear spray. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows was told the same thing 15 minutes later, but both Trump and Meadows seemed unconcerned. At 10.47, Rudy Giuliani took the stage of the big rally at the Ellipse, saying that the legal folks needed to overturn the election and told the gathered masses, quote, let's have a trial by combat. As he was walking off the stage, a rather extraordinary two-minute video was shown to the crowd. The soundtrack was Trump's inauguration speech from 2016, as well as a cover of Linkin Park's 2000 song, In the End, performed by Flurry and Young Youth. 
It starts with Trump's eyes in shadow, then the Capitol building, then the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles, which is a little bit weird. Analysts and experts of fascist propaganda have looked at this video and say that this was the beginning of a series of oblique references to the notion that all media is controlled by the Jews. So we have Trump, the Capitol building, the Hollywood sign, then the UN General Assembly, and then the floor of the EU Parliament. Then there's an image of Joe Biden staring rather blankly at the camera, mouth hanging open. The implication here is that he is a foolish puppet of evil masterminds, the same masterminds that control Hollywood, the UN, and the EU. Then we see Democratic Senator Charles Schumer, who is Jewish, wearing a kente cloth around his neck, which is a textile pattern from Ghana and a symbol of black liberation movements. So now what the narrative has done has shown that the Jewish elite, who control all the media and most other international organizations, also control all black rights movements. And Biden. Next, we see Nancy Pelosi with representatives Nadler and Schiff, both of whom are also Jewish. So she's a Jewish puppet, so therefore, so is the entire Democratic Party. The video goes on with all sorts of images of American decline and then Trump as a sort of a savior. It's really quite something, and you can find a link to it, plus a couple of articles that do a great job of analyzing it in the episode notes. About three quarters of the way through, there's a logo for Women for America First, that Proud Boy supporting group started by Tea Party or Amy Kremer. I can only assume that they're the ones who made the video. Just after that logo shows up, it's repeated smaller with the name Rudy Giuliani in all caps underneath it. So he also must have had something to do with this video. Many people think the video was a clear attempt to push certain conspiracist buttons and inflame them into action. Others say, nah, it was just trying to get people excited about Trump, who was due to speak in just over an hour. The video was not trying to be persuasive in any way, but simply a tool used to excite, or incite, people who'd been primed for years with certain narrative streams. Then, at 10.58, a group of Proud Boys were intercepted en route to the Capitol by Newsnight U.S. correspondent David Grossman. They tell him, quote, we're taking our country back. Again, I'd like to stress that as of this moment, Trump is still in power and has been for four years. At 11.11, police find a vehicle near Le Enfant Plaza, a shopping mall that, amusingly enough, contains the International Spy Museum. Inside the vehicle, they find a rifle and a scope. At 11.20, Trump phones Pence, but Pence remains firm that he will not get in the way of the legal results. This angers Trump to no end, who calls Pence a wimp. At 11.35, the Metropolitan Police investigate a report that at 15th and Constitution, a man is walking around with a rifle. Just before noon, Trump told his staff to remove the metal detectors at the security line for his upcoming speech. He said he wanted more people in attendance, and anyone out there was, quote, not here to hurt me. At 11.58, Trump began his speech. He claimed that there were hundreds of thousands of people in the crowd from all over the world, but the fake news wouldn't show that. It was first thought the crowd was about 10,000 people strong. Later estimates have more. Lots of different numbers have been tossed out, so it was somewhere between 10 and 80,000 people. Trump also told people that there had been plans to remove both the Jefferson and Lincoln memorials, which was not true at all. He said the media was the biggest problem in the country. Oh, and also big tech. 
He made more claims that he'd won the 2020 election and won by even more than he won back in 2016. He also slipped into his speech that somehow, quote, they had used the pandemic in some way to steal the election. Some direct tidbits from the speech. These are all direct quotes. We will never give up. We will never concede. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. We've got to get rid of the weak Congress people, the ones that aren't any good, the Liz Cheney's of the world. You must must fight fight much harder harder against against bad bad people, people. and you are allowed to go by very very different rules. rules. We fight. We fight fight like hell. hell. And if you don't don't fight like hell, hell, you're not going to have a country country anymore. anymore. So let's let's walk walk down down Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Avenue. Avenue. We're going to the Capitol, and we're going to try and give Republicans the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. You'll never be able to take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength, and you have to be strong. The crowd then started up a series of chants. Fight for Trump, and take the Capitol, and invade the Capitol, and storm the Capitol. All of this in addition to the always classic USA, USA, USA. Needless to say, people were pumped. And different people heard different messages in what Mr. Trump and the speakers and videos before him seemed to be telling them. At 1.12 p.m., Trump finished his speech. He seemed to want to follow the bulk of the crowd, but was diverted when Kevin McCarthy told Trump aide Cassidy Hutchinson to absolutely not let him go with the crowd. Instead, He was driven back to the White House, but as they approached that building, he demanded to be driven back to the Capitol. He was refused, but while the Secret Service continued driving, he tried to grab the steering wheel and lunged at his lead Secret Service agent, Robert Engel. He did not, however, gain control of the vehicle, and they continued driving him to the White House. Now, just a few minutes before this, while the speech was still going on, groups of Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and other such groups had started moving towards the Capitol building, breaching the outer perimeter. People in the crowd started throwing metal poles at Capitol Police, who called for backup. During the speech, other things were going on as well. At 1229, Capitol Police received a report of a taser being fired somewhere near the Senate building. At 1233, Park Police detained a man with a rifle near the World War II Memorial, and those pipe bombs in front of the DNC and RNC headquarters were found. At 1258, Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund called Sergeant Paul Irving requesting a declaration of emergency and the help of the National Guard. As the militia groups broke through the first barricade, a request was made to lock down the Capitol building. One minute later, Stephen soon contacted the Secret Service and asked them for help. Two minutes after that, he got a report that Capitol Police had found a red pickup truck from Alabama filled with weapons, including an M4 carbine assault rifle, many mags of ammo, and the ingredients to make 11 Molotov cocktails. Anyway, Trump finished his speech and was driven back to the White House, arriving at 121, and by 128, he was in the dining room where he would stay for quite a while. At 1.30, the surging crowds overcame police who were holding out on the back steps of the Capitol. At 134, the mayor of D.C. asked the Army Secretary for immediate assistance. At 140, protesters started climbing the scaffolding on the west side of the Capitol. 
At 1.48, Soon once again asked for help from the Secret Service, this time from the Uniformed Division. At 1.49, the crowd breached the terrace. The Metropolitan Police officially declared this as a riot. This is also when Trump decided he would tweet a video of his speech, just coincidentally at that exact moment. At 2 p.m., the order finally went through to lock down the Capitol building. At 2.05, Kevin Greeson, who'd come to D.C. from Alabama, suffered a fatal heart attack in the crowd. At 2.10, the rioters breached the final barricades on both the west and northwest sides. A window was broken, and at 2.11, the first rioter gained access to the building. Pence was taken away by Secret Service, and Officer Eugene Goodman ran into Mitt Romney in the hallway, told him what was happening, and Romney ran off to the safety of the Senate floor. More windows were broken, more people entered, and the doors were then opened to let in even more. After warning Romney, Officer Goodman ran downstairs where he encountered a mob of people inside the building. He started directing them away from the Senate chamber. At 2.14, Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy told Major General William Walker of the National Guard to, quote, stand by. Five minutes later, Walker emailed Kevin McCarthy telling him that the building had been breached and he is writing a letter to request 200 guardsmen be activated. At 2.21, Ryan McCarthy sent another email to the National Guard and then talked on the phone with the mayor. Things clearly are getting out of hand and both Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. are pestering their father to say something, but he once again refuses. In fact, sometime around 2.15, he tells people around him that he agrees with the protesters who are chanting that Pence should be hanged. At 2.24, Trump tweeted, quote, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. A minute later, Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy, the mayor of D.C., and Major General William Walker of the National Guard all had a conference call. Walker was told to prepare the quick reaction force, but do nothing else because he still needed direct personal approval from Acting Defense Secretary Miller. At 228, Attorney John Eastman emailed Pence's legal counsel, Greg Jacobs, saying that this riot was all Pence's fault because he would not, quote, do what was necessary to allow this to be aired in a public way, whatever that means. At 2.30, the mayor of D.C., Capitol Police Chief Sund, and others plead with Pentagon officials for backup. At 2.35, a large group of men wearing combat gear, identified as members of the Oath Keepers, started going up the Capitol steps. More meetings were taking place as to whether or not support should be sent to the beleaguered police at the Capitol. Slightly giving in to the demands of his progeny, Trump tweeted people should support the police and stay peaceful, but he said nothing about going home. At 2.39, reports came in that rioters had started physically attacking police officers. More windows were broken, that group of Oath Keepers entered the building, and then shots were fired. The only the difference only between, between martyrdom, martyrdom and, suicide and suicide is press, press coverage. coverage, a 2005 song by Panic at the Disco. At 2.44 in the afternoon, rioter Ashley Babbitt was shot trying to crawl in through an open window near the House chamber, dying the next day. A minute later, rioters entered the Senate chamber, which had been evacuated. Also at 2.45, rioters entered Nancy Pelosi's office. Just before 3 o'clock, Kevin McCarthy was on the phone with Trump, begging the president to do something. But Trump refused, saying again he agreed with the protesters. 
Frantic attempts were made by staffers to get Trump to please tell everybody to stop and go home. Even Sean Hannity contacted aide Mark Meadows, telling him to tell Trump to get people to go away. At 2.52, almost two hours since it all started, the first FBI SWAT team finally arrived on the scene. At 3.04, a bit over two hours since the first request went through, Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller authorizes the National Guard to support the Metropolitan Police. At 3.32, the National Guard is finally ordered to be mobilized. But as they're getting ready to walk out, they are then immediately recalled. At 4.03, three hours after these events began, Trump finally videos a message from the Rose Garden telling people to go home, but also reminding them that the election had been stolen. He did this at the behest of Donald Trump Jr., who was worried that the Biden camp would get out a statement first. Though he filmed it at 4.03, his people didn't share it until 4.17, which was just two minutes after Joe Biden issued a statement, saying that this riot, quote, bordered on sedition. As Donald Trump Jr. put it, Biden beat us to the punch. At 4.32, Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller reauthorized deployment of the National Guard. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy said he would give Major General William Walker of the National Guard permission to head out at 4.35, but later Walker would testify that in fact he didn't get that permission until 5.08. At 4.48, protesters who had been driven away from the Capitol ran into a group of journalists. They smashed all their equipment. At 5.20, the Quick Reaction Force finally arrived on the scene. At 5.40, the first National Guard troops arrived. At 6 p.m., D.C. initiated a curfew. One minute later, Trump tweeted that people should, quote, go home in love and peace, but also, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots. He left the dining room and headed into the residence where he told an employee there, Mike Pence has let me down. Thirteen minutes later, with the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and the D.C. National Guard finally all able to work together, a perimeter on the west side of the building was finally established. At 6.50, Capitol Police gave an all-clear for inside the building. Whew, it's all over, right? Well, no, because we still have to get that certification done. So... At 7.02, Rudy Giuliani called Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, leaving a voicemail message that he needed to find a way to, quote, slow down the certification. At 8 p.m., Pence was once again on the Senate floor, but all the senators had to be located and brought back, so he just waited. At 9 p.m., Trump lawyer John Eastman emailed Pence, asking him to simply not go ahead with the certification at all and leave. After getting no response, 42 minutes later, he emailed Pence's aide, repeating the request. At 11.32, the joint session of Congress finally resumed. After several attempts by Republicans at objecting to the proceedings, which were then dismissed, the election results were finally certified at 3.42 a.m. Seven minutes later, Trump, apparently still awake, issued a statement that said, quote, Even though I totally disagree with the outcome of this election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. And there was. Hey, look, hey, Ma, look, Ma I, made I, it. I made it. In the times that followed, all sorts of things happened, and many narratives were spun about things that didn't happen, or at least didn't happen the way that we all saw them happen on television. 
Trump and crew continued to trumpet the election was stolen story, filing numerous lawsuits. Maybe they thought if they could prove their claims of fraud, then somehow the election would magically get reversed, which is a classic example of magical thinking. Well, Trump wanted attention, and boy, he got it. Trump was impeached by the House on January 26th. This was the second time the first one had happened back in January 2020 for abuse of power and obstruction of justice, but this one was for incitement of insurrection. Of course, he was out of office by then, so it didn't really matter much. Trump said his movement, quote, has only just begun, and that the second impeachment trial was, quote, yet another another phase phase of the greatest greatest witch hunt hunt in the history history of our capital capital C country. That trial should have been good practice for him since he is now facing many, many court cases. A fair number of somewhat well-known people are also associated with January 6th, like self-proclaimed, quote, journalist researcher at Conspiracy Theories and History, which is not a real organization, a man named Jason Allen Alexander, the man who was once married to Britney Spears for a whole 56 hours. He's floating around in all this, as is Derek Evans, newly elected to the West Virginia House of Delegates, who streamed video of himself entering the Capitol building, or Jake and Jelly, a well-known QAnon organizer who walked around the Capitol shouting into a megaphone. There's also Jim Gionet, a white nationalist and neo-Nazi from Alaska who likes to be called Baked Alaska and who live-streamed himself for 20 minutes from inside the building. I may have mispronounced his name. I don't really care. Many of the hate groups who participated, like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, splintered in the weeks that followed. It's kind of like they shot their wad and either found that they didn't really have the stomach for this big civilian military takeover they've been bragging about for so long, or maybe they just really, really liked not being in jail. Within three weeks of these events, 228 people have been charged with federal and or D.C. offenses. By the first week of September, that number had risen to 600. By the one-year anniversary, it was 1,000, and today it stands at more than 1,100. Seven of the people charged have disappeared, presumably on the lam. 623 people have received sentences, some fairly light, like 19 or 27 months in prison, plus an extended period of supervised release and a fine of a couple of thousand dollars. Others got longer, like Richard Bigo Barnett, the man who sat with his feet up on the desk in Nancy Pelosi's office and left her a note calling her a bitch. He got four years, though he could have gotten as many as 20. Jacob Chansley, a.k.a. the QAnon shaman from Phoenix, got 41 months, that's almost three and a half years, but then got released early for good behavior and sent to a reentry center. Some of the stiffer sentences, most for multiple offenses, include Guy Wesley Reffitt, who walked around the Capitol wearing body armor and a helmet and had a handgun and a bunch of zip ties. He got a bit over seven years. Jessica Watkins, Oath Keepers member from Ohio, who wanted people to come and train, got eight and a half years. Dominic Pozzola, a fairly new Proud Boy member from New York, who smashed that first window in the Capitol with a stolen police riot shield, 10 years. Thomas Webster, a retired police officer from New York with no neck, who punched a Capitol Police officer and stole his gas mask, and who first tried claiming self-defense but then later said he regretted going to D.C. that day. He got 10 years. 
Alan Hostetter, a former Orange County, California police chief who then became a yoga instructor, who once wrote, quote, tyrants and traitors need to be executed, and who drove to D.C. in a car filled with tactical gear, a helmet, pepper spray, knives, stun batons, and hatchets, and who went into the Capitol building on January 6th with a hatchet in his backpack, a hatchet, and who later said that the whole January 6th thing was a false flag operation, even though he'd been part of it and he had a hatchet. And he then said Ashley Babbitt had not really been killed. Anyway, he got 11 years. Kelly Miggs, deputy to Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, got 12 years. His wife, Connie, got 15 months. Daniel D.J. Rodriguez, a California man described as a, quote, one-man army of hate, who fired stun guns at police, as well as a fire extinguisher and hit them with a wooden pole, got 12 years. As he was being led from the courtroom after sentencing, he shouted, Trump won. Peter Schwartz, a welder from Pennsylvania and who threw a chair at police officers and attacked them with pepper spray, 14 years. Zachary Rail, president of Proud Boys Philadelphia, 15 years. Joseph Biggs, a Proud Boys leader, 17 years. Ethan Nordine, leader of the Seattle chapter of the Proud Boys, 18 years. Stuart Rhodes, eyepatch-wearing founder of the Oath Keepers, whose real name is Elmer, 18 years. And the winner is Enrique Tario, real name Henry, Proud Boys leader, or rather former leader, got 22 years, even though he was arrested on the 4th, two days before the attack on the Capitol. Emperor's Emperor's New Clothes, clothes. a 2015 song by Panic at the Disco. What on earth were these people thinking? Well, for those on the ground that day, a combination of conspiracy theories that amounted to Trump won the election, this mysterious they rigged the numbers, this is some kind of evil takeover by evildoers, and we need to stop it, plus whatever additional bees were flying around in their respective bonnets. That we get. But for the people who were around Trump himself, what was going on in their minds? It seems fairly clear that at least some of these people thought that they would be successful, that they somehow get Trump to remain president, and then Trump would reward them. Would Trump then leave after serving that second term? It's also clear that some of the people around him had higher or maybe lower aspirations to essentially dismantle the democratic system and implement a new one, one with a strong single leader who wields most of the power and rules by fiat, which in this scenario will be Trump until he dies, and then one of them would scramble to take over. This is, you know, a dictatorship. So the whole thing kind of sounds like a coup, at least at the level of those in governance or governance-adjacent positions. Now, coup means, quote, a sudden, violent, and unlawful seizure of power from the government. Other words that have been used to describe this are protest, demonstration, unrest, riot, siege, insurrection, domestic terrorism, rebellion, sedition, treason, and an outright revolution attempt. Depending on who and where one is on January 6th, any of these words might seem to apply in different contexts. While what happened at the January 6th protest, riot, insurrection, terrorist action, whatever you want to call it, was fueled in large part by conspiracy theories, it should come as no surprise that in the weeks and months that followed, that day would engender its own conspiracy theories. 
like, well, you can't call it an insurrection because no shots were fired or weapons were confiscated. This is a view that has been promoted by Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, Tucker Carlson, and many others. Except that there is a ton of evidence, including video footage, of weapons being confiscated by the truckload. And I mean that literally in some cases. Well, it was just a spontaneous upswelling of patriotism and not planned at all. All of the events and online chatter beforehand seem to say otherwise. Well, look, these people were pretty stupid. So it really doesn't amount to anything organized. After all, they didn't really accomplish anything. And <laughs> many of them actually filmed themselves breaking the law, either live streaming it in the moment or even more mind bogglingly waiting until they got home and then uploaded or pasted their footage and photos into social media for all the world to see. These were not bright people. They couldn't organize anything. That argument has legitimately been made. But the big one is that the whole thing was a fake, a false flag. This was probably started by Michigan State Senator Mike Shirky, who even said Mitch McConnell was in on it. Many police either stood by or did nothing or even actively participated. This proves that they were part of it. The narrative that the police are the ones who let people into the Capitol building has been shown to be patently false. This entire argument is known as January 6th revisionism. Another version of that says there was no violence at all. All the footage you see of violence is deep fake footage. Or there was violence, but none of it came from the Trumpeters. That was all Democrats and their stooges. Arizona Representative Paul Gossar tweeted on January 6th, after everything had quieted down, quote, This has all the hallmarks of Antifa provocation. The next day, the 7th Alabama Representative Mo Brooks, who asked for and did not get a pardon, tweeted, Quote, please don't be like hashtag fake news media. Don't rush to judgment on assault on Capitol. Wait for investigation. All may not be and likely is not what appears. Evidence growing that fascist Antifa orchestrated Capitol attack with clever mob control tactics. And then he went on something of a tweet gibberish spree. Matt Gates said on the floor of the House that facial recognition software had been used on footage and it clearly showed Antifa supporters in the crowd of these supposed rioters. Of course, this is not true at all. One bit of supposed evidence of Antifa involvement, and again, I like to stress that there is no organization called Antifa. It is a philosophy of being opposed to fascism that there is a man in a yellow sweatshirt with a tattoo on the back of his left hand that looks like a hammer and sickle, the symbol of the communists. Well, on closer examination, it turns out that this tattoo is actually the outsider's mark from the video game Dishonored. Marjorie Taylor Greene, always good for a chuckle, says that the J6 defendants should be considered, quote, prisoners of war, even though most of them are out on bail, and said that those who were in detention were having food withheld. QAnon Shaman did actually complain about the food he was being served because, you see, he only eats organic food. So, they changed his diet to an all-organic one. Green also says that they're being subjected to re-education programs, though she has no proof of anything like this. But that's a really scary term from the scary communists, and her supporters seem to just lap it up like cats lap up cream in a dish. So, those are the events that led up to January 6, 2021, three years ago this week. 
and yet still the echoes of the angry howls can be heard reverberating around the country and on the internet. What did it all mean? Well, that's for you to figure out. It'll probably mean different things to different people. But it wasn't anything good, that's for sure. Though plagued with lawsuits and indictments, Donald Trump is still the front-runner for the GOP nomination in this year's election, at least according to popular polls. No matter how much you think he should bear some of the blame for what happened on January 6th, for the record, I think quite a lot, this stuff is not going to go away anytime soon. If he loses in November, well, we'll see if his supporters finally go gentle into that good night. And if he wins, what will happen then? Which of the competing ambitions and narratives swirling around Trump will win out? Will there even be an America that's recognizable by the end of that term, if in fact that term ever ends? As in all things, only time will tell. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.